We are starting again this new little study, and, and it, forgive me because I've not actually taught in a while, so um, if I go a little over tonight, please forgive me. I'll try not to do this as we move forward, but just very excited about being able to, to, to kind of share. Um, we're doing a study um, called Precious Marriage. Now again, in this, a while back I was reading, a guy kind of wrote this, um, it was a book, it's kind of a testimony, but he was kind of going through, it was also like a little light commentary on First Peter, and as I was reading through the book, I kind of was, you know, I was enjoying it, but I was liking kind of some of the things he was saying about lining it up with, with First Peter, and so I kind of started reading First Peter, and as I was reading it, I felt like the Lord wanted us to do a study here. Now, I need to tell you guys, this is not going to be an in-depth Bible study. You guys, men, you can come out for the, the men's study. Ladies, you can go out for the ladies' studies if you want, although they're not studying. I think you guys just did First Peter not too long ago. Yeah, a couple years ago. But the men are going to be studying First Peter. Um, so, But it's not going to be an in-depth. But basically what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through uh, the book of First Peter and looking at things that Peter would want to communicate to us um, and then how we could apply that into our marriage. And so that's kind of what we're going to be doing, even though we're going to kind of read through the book. But how did I get precious marriage? Well, eight times in Peter's writing, uh, he uses this word precious. And when I stop and think about my, my vision of Peter is he's kind of, he's, he's this fisher guy, okay? So he hangs out at the docks, and he's kind of a big guy because uh, it says in John that, that he pulled in 153, 153 fish all by himself in a net. So I'm thinking if that guy pulled in that many fish, this guy had to be, you know, pretty pretty buff and stuff like that. I don't know, maybe nacho size or a little bigger. I don't know. But anyways, he, he pulled them in. And, and so I look at him as this big kind of burly guy. And yet he uses, it's incredible, he uses this word precious. He uses this word precious. Again, what is precious? Well, the dictionary would define it as an object, substance, or resource of great value. So it's valuable, costly, expensive, high-priced, invaluable, priceless, rare, exquisite, irreplaceable. All of these words are words that describe this word, which is called precious. And again, as I was asking the Lord, I believe that God brought us to such a time as this, to this portion of Scripture, and, and this is what we're going to be looking at. And we want to look at a marriage as something that's precious because something that is priceless, something that is irreplaceable, something that we look at in great value, we honor and we esteem. Unfortunately, today, that's not often going on in most marriages. Actually, in most relationships, it's like we kind of have the throwaway uh, marriages, the throwaway relationships, and it's really not about honoring and esteeming. But again, when we have an object or something that we look at as, as great value or great pr price. I remember back in the 90s, um, the old pastor from the church, Pastor Steve Mays, um, he bought me actually this guitar. I have a lot of guitars, but this guitar is my precious. This guitar, they used to tell Pat, that's your golden calf, because I used to get, like, irritated if anyone even touched it. I've gotten a lot better and stuff. So, but anyways, but again, when, when it's something you look at as value, you honor it and you lift it up. And to me, 
That's what we want to do, and I think that's what the Lord would like us to do um, during this study, is to really get a little different view of our marriages and what that looks like and get God's perspective and God's view. Again, listen, Peter was writing to Christians who are experiencing various forms of persecution, trials, in the midst of a very, very pagan society. Uh, it's kind of getting a little bit like that today. This epistle is a unique source of encouragement for all believers who live in conflicts within their own culture. Uh, those who read 1 Peter, again, we are encouraged and we're going to be encouraged to lift up our eyes from the present situation and problems and to look from God's lookout point. Pastor Jeff had just went out to uh, the Grand Canyon and I took Mary there a couple years ago. She had never been there. So we went out there. And, and as you go to the Grand Canyon, you go along the road and it's all these different lookout points. And you go out there and every lookout point is spectacular and it's amazing. And you, you go out and you go, oh my gosh, nothing could be more beautiful. And the next one, oh my gosh, nothing could be more beautiful. You know, and you're, you're taking all these pictures and you look at the pictures like, well, they're all the same. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's all the Grand Canyon. But, but again, it, it's, it's that lookout point that gives you a very unique and different perspective. And God wants us to get his perspective. He wants to take us up from his lookout point and see things from his view. And again, what that would look like for us, having a precious marriage. First Peter, we're going to be looking at chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Again, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the Dispersia in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Here, Peter is letting us know he's writing, but when he says uh, to the pilgrims of the dispersion, that word dispersion, it literally, it's a picture of a guy that's going out into a field and he's going to sow seed. And he's got his little bag of seed in his side and he reaches in and he throws that seed as far as he can. It cover as much ground as he can. And Peter's basically saying, this is who I'm writing to. Those who have been dispersed, those pilgrims who are all over the place, is who I want to communicate that to. That's to us today. Okay? Verse 2, it says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, uh, of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I love this. The foreknowledge of God the Father, the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit here in this verse. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Grace is God's um, unmerited favor. You can do the little acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense for that word grace. And I don't know about you, but I know my marriage needs that. My wife prays that for me. Pat needs grace, as well as we need peace. You know, when I'm wrestling with God, oftentimes I'm not always experiencing the peace of God. But when I surrender to God, it's kind of like, okay, Lord, I surrender to you. He gives me his peace. I know his peace. And then I have peace with God. And normally I have peace with others around us. It's what each and every one of our marriages need. Blessed be, verse 3, goes on to say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
from the dead. And this blessed is not so much the oh, how happy, but it's really more um, God is to be honored. Uh, he is to be adored. It's adorable. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, and I like that, abundant, and that is very, very large amounts of mercy. Now listen, grace is, um, is, is God's riches at Christ's expense, God giving us those things. Mercy is holding back what we deserve. I don't know about you, but me, because I'm a sinner, I deserve hell, eternal punishment, wailing and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness. That's what I deserve, but God holds back what I deserve, and he gives me his mercy. And I oftentimes think, God, I depleted your mercy today, and God says, no way, Pat. You could never. Listen, no matter what you've done, no matter what's going on, you cannot deplete the mercy of God. It is new. It's fresh every single morning for us to partake. And God says he wants us to drink it up every morning. I don't know about you, but I do that. I need it each and every day. It is abundant mercy. But again, it's, it's to a living hope. And it's this living is it's a lively expectation that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two, verse four. Listen, if you, I don't underline things, but if you underline, underline verse four, if you memorize scripture, that's a Bible verse. Men, this is a great Bible verse for you to put into memory. Verse four, to an inheritance. This is why we have a living hope. This is what is bring about joy and hope and peace. To an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. It's an inheritance, which is incorruptible. It cannot be corrupted by the things of this world. It's not a part of this world. It's, it's a part of something God has waiting for us. It's undefiled. It's pure. It's unstained. Uh, it, it does not fade away. There is a shine to it that will last forever. Rust, no matter what, aging the sun, it, it will still be shining. And yet it's reserved. Listen, it's reserved in heaven for us. And this word reserved, it's actually a military term. It means to guard or to prevent from escaping. This is what God has waiting for each and every one of us. Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last days. And again, that word kept, again, another military term meaning uh, a watcher uh, in advance or you're mounting a guard or post at the gate to hem in to protect and it's all by the power of God listen God says I'm gonna post myself at the gate to watch over and protect what's waiting for you you do not need to worry about that and also for us it is this incredible salvation that God has for us as we confess our sin, acknowledge what he's done for us. He gives us this wonderful gift of salvation. Paul says in Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who would believe. Again, all that the Lord has done for us, the abundant mercy, the lively expectation, the inheritance, keeping us, watching over us, protecting us. We have an incredibly amazing God, people. And yet, how might this apply to us today within our marriages? Well, we'll start with the ladies. You start? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, I that was just I a little start. Was going 
<laughs> okay, so, okay, this, uh, I was thinking about as we begin the other day, we started the first day of fall, and so I was thinking in the fall, it's always a time for us to remember our nation's beginnings and um, think about pilgrims. And as we're talking about pilgrims here in this chapter, it just kind of reminded me of that. And I started thinking, who were the pilgrims? They were those that traveled. They departed from their comfort zone, from their homes and their families and their normal life and surroundings, and they became foreigners in an unknown, unknown territory. They took great risks, possible loss of life, loss of family, loss of their possessions, with no guarantees at all except maybe for disappointment. And you think, for us ladies, why would any woman want to do that? And the answer to me was hope. Hope for a better life, a better world, an adventure, a better future. And now you and I are the recipients of those pilgrims that took that step of faith because we get to experience the blessings, the, the hope that maybe they didn't even get to see, we get to experience that life that is rich and, and rewarding and things that they gained, um, we, by their risk and by they, uh, their taking off on this adventure and this journey, we get to partake of the blessings of that. And as we look at this chapter and as we go through First Peter, marriage in a way is kind of like that pilgrim's journey. For us, for men, for, for women as wives, uh, we kind of took that leap of faith. We are foreigners in an unknown territory, loving and caring for another person and not just having to worry about ourselves any longer. It involved risks, loss of me time, loss of my way, loss of my selfishness, not just mine anymore, but now it's ours. If there's just like the pilgrims that took those first journeys, there's no guarantees for us. Remember the vows that we made, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness or in health. And so we want the richer and the better and the, uh, what's the other one? Uh, <laughs> Uh, we want the health, but sometimes that's not the way that, that life works out. And again, you might say, why would anyone want to do this? Well, again, it's hope for a better life together with the one that you love, for a better world, an adventure, right? Isn't that why we took that step of faith in the first place? So for us that have chosen to journey into this thing called marriage and taken that leap of faith, okay, sorry. Uh, Peter gives us some reminders here of the blessed and precious hope that we have in Jesus and of all the wonderful blessings, just as Pat kind of summarized just a minute ago, that God has for us, no matter what um, our, our lives look like today, no matter what today looks like, God's blessings and his promises do not change. In verse 1, as Pat pointed out, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I loved one of the versions that read like this. I, Peter, am a messenger on assignment by Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And I really like that because that just is a reminder to me, and I hope to you as, as women and as wives, that God has a plan for each of our lives. He has an assignment, as you would, for each of us. And part of that assignment as married women and as wives is to love and respect the man sitting next to you, the one that's your husband. The one that we promise to love and cherish all the days of our lives. That is an assignment that Jesus has given to us as wives. It says that um, Peter writes to the pilgrims of the dispersion. In uh, other versions said they were strangers in the world or foreigners. They were scattered. They were exiles. 
And though at this time, the people that Peter is writing to, though they were God's chosen people, they were, had become exiles and foreigners be, in order to escape some awful trials and persecution that was going on back in their homeland. You know, in this world, for us ladies, sometimes we do feel like strangers and foreigners. As we've made a decision to follow Jesus, we're not following the same path that all the other women are following. We are called to be different. In this world, um, we have to walk a path that maybe sometimes doesn't go along with the flow. And maybe sometimes you look at your life and think, God, this isn't really turning out the way that I had hoped. Our guarantee on this life is this. Even in our marriages, we will have trials. You know, so reminder number two for me was that this world is not our home. We won't be here forever, so don't be discouraged. God sees and he still has a plan for our lives. You know, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, and we're not going to go there right now, but it, it talks about the heroes of faith, those men and women that chose to follow Jesus and stick it out through the, the good times and the bad. And this is what it says about these people. It says, they agreed that they were strangers and pilgrims here on earth, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And for us, ladies, this world is not our home. We are looking ahead to a better homeland, the homeland that Jesus has for us in heaven. We're looking forward to the things that God has for us in that heavenly homeland so that we don't be consumed make, trying to make this life the one that's, that's forever. You know, I find that a lot of people are very discouraged and confused and really uptight with the things going on in the world here and now because they're trying to fix it, make it back to normal like it's supposed to be. This world is not our home. This world is corrupt. This world is passing away. But one day, soon and very soon, for those of us who believe, we go to our heavenly homeland. And you know, when this world rejects us, in verse 2, this is what Peter reminds us. He says that God sees us as elect or chosen. In some of the other versions, it said, God the Father knew us and chose us long ago, but not one of us is missing, not one of us is forgotten. God has his eye on each one of you. I love that because, again, we live in a world where maybe we don't measure up to the world's standard. We feel like we're nothing. We don't keep up. You know what? God says he's got his eye on you. You're important to him. You're not forgotten. You're his chosen and elect daughter. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16, he says this, I have written your name on the palms of my hand. Don't you just love that thought that God, the God of this universe, there's, I don't know, billions or how many people there are on this earth, and that and yet your name is written on the palm of, of his hand. You're that special to him. We are his. He will keep us. He will fulfill all that he has promised to us. We have a future and a hope in the Lord. He knew who we'd be married to. He knew what struggles we might be having right now. He knew our faults, our failures, and yet he still chose us. Isn't that an amazing thought that he still chose us? And now his desire for us is to be made holy by his spirit as we obey Jesus, especially in our marriages. That's probably why Peter goes on to remind us next, grace to you and peace be multiplied. 
I really love that. He didn't say added, but he said multiplied because he, you know, he knows that we need a lot, especially in our marriages. In the Phillips version, it said, may you know more, more and more of God's grace and peace. In the New Living, it said, may God give you more and more grace and peace. In case you don't get the hint, we need lots of it. Now, as Pat pointed out, um, the, these words, grace and peace, are great words. Grace is spiritual blessings that we don't deserve, and we need to be sharing them with our spouse as well. It's unconditional love and acceptance. Only by God's grace can we do that. Only by God's grace can we experience that and share that in our marriage. You know, I read this little devotional by Timothy Keller, and the other day, it was on Proverbs 11:16, and it was talking about the kind-hearted woman who gains honor. And this is what he said about that, and I just love because it ties in with this whole idea of grace. He said, just as a grinding compound is mixed into a gem tumbler so that the stones polish one another beautifully rather than break them into pieces, so Christians must inject grace into their marriages. Christians are called to forgive everyone especially our spouse, just as in Christ God has forgiven us. That's Isaiah 4.32. Marriage requires the ability to forgive freely without any, shed, uh, any shred of superiority and to repent freely without begrudging. And I just, I love that picture because that's the picture of God's grace. It gives us as wives the ability to forgive freely without lording it over our husbands or always reminding them about it or acting like we're the more spiritual ones because they messed up. And, it, and also a willingness as wives to repent when we're the wrong ones without begrudging. Well, if he hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done that. And it was his fault and he started it. Just repentance as pure and as simple as I'm sorry, forgive me. And that's what grace looks like in the marriage. So we, all, we need more and more not only of grace, but also of God's peace. That word peace means freedom from fears, agitations, and conflict, replacing those things with hope and trust. John 16, one of my favorite verses says this, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. When I focus on Jesus and not on the problem, he promises me peace. By his spirit, by his help, I won't be so prone to starting a fight or an argument or pushing Pat's buttons just because I'm feeling stressed out or having a bad day. I can live in the peace of God. Psalm 55 tells me that he will redeem my soul in peace. That's what God wants to do for us. A home that is filled with the peace of God will be a place where my marriage can thrive. Uh, Peter goes on to remind us of another thing, of the gift of God in verse 3. And as Pat pointed out, it says, blessed be God. But that blessed really means praise God. Praise be to God for his great and abundant mercy to save us and give us new life. Again, despite the things going on around us, COVID, protests, elections, injustice, we still have a living hope. Jesus died, he rose again, and he conquered death to, to give us new life. We can still have a life full of hope, even in spite of the things going on around us. And even better, we can have a great expectation for a marriage filled with hope. It begins with me experiencing God's mercy for all of my faults, and it continues with me extending that same mercy to my spouse as well. 
It should be the gift that keeps on giving. That's what God's mercy does. Why do we find it so hard to forgive and forget with our spouse sometimes? I find most of the time it's my pride, it's my sinful flesh that gets in the way. I don't, I don't want to forgive. I want to be mad a little longer. You did that last time. I want to hang on to those things. But when God's mercy is operating in my life and extending forgiveness to me, I need to be like Jesus and pass it on to my spouse as well. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did for us? Now, some of us might be sad by this next comment, and some of us might be glad, but do you realize there isn't going to be marriage in heaven? And I was going to look that up in the Gospels, but I forgot to look up the exact verse, but I can find it for you later if you want it. But you know what? There is not going to be marriage in heaven. So some of you might be, woohoo inside, and some of you might be really sad. But Peter reminds us one more thing, and this is what he says. Besides the gift of mercy, there's another gift that God has for us. In verse 4, praise God, as Pat pointed out, He's given us the perfect and priceless inheritance. So it doesn't matter what you own in this world, what you have in your 401k, what things you have or you don't have. You have an inheritance in Jesus Christ. Nothing in this earth can ever compare with what God has prepared for you. Let's take a look at these words, just as Pat pointed out. We'll go over them real quick. The first one was incorruptible, pure. It can never perish. It's beyond the reach of any change or decay. You know what? Our bodies, our beauty, our cars, our homes, our everything are decaying, they're rotting, they're, every, you know, they're always needing fixing up. The inheritance we have in Jesus never will need any of that. It says it's undefiled. It never can spoil. The world can't ruin it. The next president can't mess it up. It's reserved in heaven for you. It says it does not fade away. As opposed to our looks and, like I said, our possessions, this inheritance is, I loved how you said that, it's going to be as shiny as the day God invented it or thought of it. Reserved in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. God's got it on hold, so to speak, for you. Psalm 61, verse 5 says this, For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me an inheritance reserved for those who fear your name. So ladies, as wives, when we choose to fear the Lord, when we choose to be excited about what we have waiting for us in heaven, that will change our out outlook on life. That will change our perspective, as Pat pointed out. It's reserved in heaven for us because we choose to fear the Lord, and that will give us a uh, perspective for here and now. Maybe your prince doesn't act so charming, but we aren't always princesses ourselves. So either way, in the end, God has amazing future for all of us who choose to believe. But until then, verse 5 has a promise for us as well. We who are kept by the power of God. That kept means we're protected, we're shielded, we're guarded. God will get us through no matter what. No matter what tomorrow holds, no matter what the election holds, no matter what happens with the vaccines for COVID or not, even in our marriages, when we look to him for help and guidance, we don't have to be women that are wandering on this journey alone, alone worrying and wondering how this is all going to turn out. He is the one who keeps us. Jude 24, another one of my favorite verses, says this, Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. 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 And guys, again, um, as I was reading...
these five verses, I did, I as well, I kept coming back to this one word, uh, the pilgrim. Um, that's about as far as I got. And I did look at, okay, what is a pilgrim as well as what is our pilgrimage um, in marriage? So again, we're going to kind of tag team on this one. But uh, um, a pilgrim, again, as Mary said, it's a traveler who's on a journey to holy place. That's actually the definition. Uh, and and all and that that is um, it, what it is. It's it's a traveler on a journey to a holy place, is what is described as this one we call a pilgrim. And so uh, we start with the traveler or a person who is moving. He's en route. He's going in a direction. Uh, they're heading somewhere. Not that they can't sit still or they're bouncing off walls, but there is a desire for travel in their lives. They're moving in a direction, and it's, it's wanting to go somewhere. Men, listen, this is not the guy who's going nowhere, the guy who's doing absolutely nothing, the guy who does not have a plan for anything in his life. That's not a traveler. That's the bump on the log, and that's not what we are called to be. So, so we first have this guy that's a traveler, okay? So th there he's moving, but he's moving on a journey. No longer just a thought but or desire, but he's, he's moving out. He's on his way. Maybe even he's enjoying the ride. Where he is is where he is, but he knows that's not the end of the journey. It's kind of like that Ecclesiastics where it says, whether a tree falls to the north, whether a tree falls to the south, where it falls... There it lies, in a sense. But, but he knows, okay, this is where I am, but it's not the end goal. I have something that I have a place that I am going. And listen, guys, if you don't have a place that you want to go within your marriage, your marriage will go nowhere. It, it will go, have no, no, no value to it. But when there's a place and a desire for, no, I want it to be something better, than what it is, and we're moving in that direction. Then, then we're on that journey, we're moving. So again, this traveler, he's on a journey, but it's not just a journey, it is to a holy place. There's a destination that this guy is heading for, and when he gets to that place, he knows there is going to be a lot that is waiting for him in this holy place. So again, it's a pilgrim who's a traveler, who's on a journey to the holy place. That's who Peter is writing to. Men, listen, that is each what he's expecting each one of us to be. Again, then in, in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he tells us this. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him. Listen to all of this. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who were once not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. All of this is describing this pilgrim, the one that you and I are supposed to be. But listen, then Peter goes on to say this. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Again, men, we are on this pilgrimage, on this journey. It's to a holy place. And yet Peter would say that on our journey, there are going to be fleshly lusts 
that are warring against our soul. Now, lust, one of the definitions, it's just a very strong desire. But as I was looking it up, I, for some reason, I clicked on Wikipedia, and it said this about lust. Lust is a psychological force producing intense desire for an object or a circumstance, fulfilling the emotion while already having a significant other or amount of the desired object. Lust can take, take uh, any form such as lust for sexuality, lust for love, lust for money, lust for power, lust for notoriety, any of those things. So Peter's telling us that this is going to be a part of the journey as a pilgrim. Strong desires battling against our soul, strong desires of sexuality, strong desires for money, strong desires for power, all battling our minds, trying to make our conduct dishonoring to people around us, as well as to the Lord, rather than having our conduct honoring to the people around us and to the Lord. Again, men, Ephesians 6, um, he says that we are to put on the whole armor of God. And then we are to stand. Again, men, our pilgrimage is a battle. Are we prepared? Men, the pilgrimage in marriage can be a battle. There are fleshly lusts wanting to tear our marriages apart. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, if you get married, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems. And some of those problems may be these fleshly lusts that are coming in to try to captivate your heart and mind and get you off of marriage in a healthy way and get you into things that are very unhealthy. But Peter says that we are to abstain from these things. And it's like to take yourself and say, hey, no, don't go down that path. Don't go there. Stop. You know, the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down a strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is what the pilgrim needs to do. And men, this is what we need to do as well within our marriage. The pilgrim, he's on the journey. Psalms 84 says this, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in God, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pool. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Men, the pilgrim on the journey will go through the valley of Baca. The valley of Baca means, Baca means weeping or pain or suffering. And yet what does the man whose heart is set on pilgrimage do in the midst of that valley of Baca, in the midst of the weeping, the pain, the suffering? It says he can make it a spring, a place that's not dry and barren, but a place where things can grow. People can be refreshed. A place where weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Again, man, I'm sure you've experienced this. The pilgrimage of marriage is going to go through the valley of Baca at times. There's going to be times of weeping, times of pain, times of suffering within marriage. But when our hearts are set on God's pilgrimage, when we are allowing God to be our strength, we can take the weeping, the pain, the suffering, and allow the Lord to use it to be a blessing to others, to comfort others. Second Corinthians says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able 
to comfort those who are in any trouble with the same comfort where we ourselves have been comforted by God. Again, in the, in the valley of Baca, men, when we turn to God and allow God to comfort us, then we can look to other people who are going through similar things or, or they're in their own little valley and we can give them the same comfort that we were comforted by. It's God who does the comforting. It's God who does that work. And we can in turn go and comfort others. We can go from strength to strength. We can comfort our wives. We can comfort our kids. That's what the Lord wants to do. The pilgrim is a traveler on a journey to a holy place. Again, I'm going to read the same verse that Mary shared. Hebrews 11 talks about the saints of old. And it says in verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but they saw them afar off. They were assured of them. They embraced them. They did confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. We just need to hear that tonight. For those, listen, for those who say such things, they plainly declare that they seek a homeland. And if truly they had called to mind the country from which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. But now, listen, they desire a better one. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them the city. Listen, the pilgrims in Hebrews 11, they confessed they were, they were pilgrims, strangers on earth. Again, this world was not their home. But they desired a better place. They desired heaven and what was waiting for them there. Because that, because that was their desire. God says, I'm not ashamed to be called your God. And God prepared something very, very special for them. Again, men in this world, <clears throat> this world is not our home. We are pilgrims passing through. And Heaven is where we should want to be because Jesus said, listen, he said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be. But I find oftentimes I'm trying to get Jesus to come to where I'm at and to be involved in this little thing, you know, in my little world down here. And, and I'm forsaking, you know, really thinking about what's waiting for me there. But again, guys, in the pilgrimage of marriage, let's not be so caught up with things here that we miss the most important thing about heaven. Because who's in heaven is Jesus. And what does Jesus want? He wants intimacy with you. He wants intimacy with me. He wants oneness. And yet in the pilgrimage of marriage, that's why God designed marriage, that we would experience intimacy and oneness here on this earth. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two should become one flesh. Oneness. Guys, that's what your wife desires. That's what she wants. She wants that. Sadly, most aren't experiencing that oneness that God created. And yet, if we are willing, Peter would say, set your heart and mind on the things above, you know, not on this earth. When we do that, the Bible says God is not ashamed to be called our God. So wrapping this up, the pilgrim, he's a traveler on a journey to a holy place. Listen, a scripture that God has been ministering to me all summer long I've been meeting with some guys, and some of the guys I'm going through, we're going through the Proverbs together, and we keep coming to Proverbs 8, and it says this. It says, um, uh, Solomon says, I traverse the way of righteousness. I traverse the way of righteousness. What does that word traverse mean? Uh, if you're going hiking, or if you're even driving up a really steep mountain, the road goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, until you finally reach the top. Listen, for your marriage, God has something so incredibly wonderful and amazing. But if we're just looking down here and not up here, we're going to not be traversing, going back and forth. There's no shortcuts in this pilgrimage of marriage. 
that there's no magic pill you're going to take that's going to make tomorrow and everything else be wonderful, your kids wonderful, your wife wonderful, your husband wonderful, and everything's just going to be peachy king for the rest of your marriage. No, this is a journey. This is a pilgrimage. And again, I love it because the Bible says, though a righteous man falls, he gets back up and he keeps going. And yet for us, we are called to traverse to just to keep going. And in this journey of marriage where we have a goal in mind, and that is to get to what the Lord has prepared for each and every one of us. Whether there are fleshly lusts going on, let's continue to traverse. Whether we're in the valley of Baca, pain of suffering, let's continue just to traverse. And we lift our eyes. And when we get, we get God's perspective when we continue on our journey to him. And there is somebody sitting next to you that desires to journey with you. So have this be your focus and enjoy the journey. Enjoy what God wants to do in and through your marriage. Amen? Amen. Father, again, we thank you so much for your word and the things written here within your word, Lord. You are an incredible, amazing God. And Lord, as we come tonight, again, interesting enough, but I actually started with... Uh, little story about a, a 80 year old man who had never prayed and uh, not only did he pray for himself but he prayed for his wife and Lord uh, I'd like to before we finish tonight is take a little time and for each one of us to pray to pray for ourselves and to pray for our spouse so guys, if you have your spouse with you tonight, if not, please pray for them. But let's spend a little bit of time, men. I want you to pray for yourself, pray for your wife. Wife, would you please pray for yourself and pray for your spouse. So let's close the night up, out by doing that right now. Let's pray. So Father, again, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for uh, just incredible time to begin and for our journey as you kind of uh, push us out uh, on this journey, Lord. Um, allow us to desire to have that precious marriage that's so special that you desire for us. So move and work, we ask and pray. Be with us this week. Watch over us. Keep us safe. Protect us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for coming on out.